Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. The readings for this weekend are all about the most important theme in the Bible, divine love. In fact, the readings for this weekend are a hymn of praise to God's love. Now, divine love is probably one of the most misunderstood things in all of the Bible. One great mistake that we can make in understanding God is we project onto God our way of thinking and our way of feeling. Speaking in general terms, we tend to fall in and out of relationships or in and out of friendships. Some people we get along very well with and we become acquaintances or even friends. Other people we don't get along with and we keep them at a distance. Well, another way to think about this is we pick who we want to get along with, who we want to have as friends who we want to care for or even love, as well as we pick those people that we don't want to be around because they, for lack of a better term, annoy us. Well, God isn't that way because God is pure love in of itself. More to the point, God is eternal. He never changes, nor does his love for us. Therefore, God doesn't fall in and out of emotional states like we do. God doesn't simply decide, oh, I love this group of people and I'm going to give them my mercy and my blessings always, and then falls into an angry snit and withholds his love. He doesn't do that. Now, you may say, well, that doesn't sound right. Just look at the Bible. You know, the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment and wrath and fire and brimstone. But the God of the New Testament, Jesus, he's all about love and forgiveness and charity. Well, the readings for this weekend, they teach us that God's love is always the same. But how it's perceived by us can be different. Now go to the first reading from 2 Chronicles. If you have some time, read First and 2 Chronicles. It's a sweeping history of God's dealing with his people of Israel. Now, in the first reading for today, it opens up with sin, an outright rebellion of the Israelite people, after they have established the temple. Notice how it begins. In those days, all the princes of Judah, the priests and the people, added infidelity to infidelity, practiced all the abominations of the nations, and polluting the Lord's temple. Well, this isn't a good time for the Israelite nation. The people are behaving badly, and the leaders are behaving badly themselves. All this leads to polluting and corrupting the temple. Now, how does God respond to this? It says, Early and often did the Lord, the God of their fathers, send his messengers to them, for he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. 
So God sends prophet after prophet to bring his errant people back online. And so God sends prophets motivated by love and compassion for his people. Now, the people are sinful and they're unfaithful, but God is faithful. Therefore, the first expression of God's love is his faithfulness and sending the prophets to help the people. Now, in sending the prophets, what does the Israelites do to the prophets? It says, they mocked the messengers of God, despised his warnings, and they scoffed at his prophets. Well, the love of God here was offered to the Israelites, and the love of God was refused by the Israelites. See, there in a nutshell is the whole story of the Israelites. And you see that up and down the Old Testament, the love of God is constantly offered again and again and again. And the Israelites constantly refuse the love of God again and again. So what does God do? The God of love, what does he do? It says, The anger of the Lord against his people was so inflamed that there was no remedy. Now you may say, well, that sounds like God is really angry, even to the point of withdrawing his love. But we can't read it that way, as a passing emotion that you and I would have. Rather, we have to read it as God's passion to set all things right, which again is an expression of God's love. And so God sends the prophets as the first expression of his love. Then in his passion to set all things right, which is another expression of his love, he must radically change or get rid of the corruption that exists within the people and in the temple. We all know sometimes things can get so bad that only drastic measures will do. Or we all know sometimes only a tearing down and starting over will only work. This is precisely how the ancient Israelites understood this calamity. Here in Chronicles, it's referring to the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians. Now, remember last week, we learned how important the temple was in Jerusalem for the Israelite people. The weight of the temple was very important. It was like taking the capital in Washington, D.C., combining it with the Vatican and also Wall Street, all rolled into one. The temple, you could say, was the summation of all of Israelite life. It was the political, economic, and spiritual epicenter of the entire country. And more importantly, it was the dwelling place of God. So when the temple was destroyed, it was much more than the destruction of some ordinary building. It was a national and theological issue. It raised many questions How could the temple, the dwelling place of God, be destroyed? And how could God allow that to happen? Did it mean God had withdrawn his love from Israelites? Well, we find the answer in Chronicles, and the answer is no. Rather, we have to understand the destruction of the temple as purification. Was it terrible? Absolutely. Jerusalem, the city, was destroyed. The temple was torn down. The people were carried off to live as slaves in Babylon, which is present-day Iraq. Now, they stayed in exile for 70 years. This wasn't some brief moment of chastisement. It was a long cleansing 
a long purification for the Israelite people. But the point is this. It was an expression of divine love. And so it raised the question, how do we understand the calamities that occur in our own lives? Maybe not as dramatic as the destruction of the temple, but we all experience challenges and maybe even terrible things in our life. How do we understand those things? Well, turn to the second reading from Paul. Paul says, God is rich in mercy because the love that he has for us. And so now we begin to see how God loves us. The first thing we have to realize, God never gives up on us. And his love will always be offered to us. During the most difficult times in our life, we must have faith. Faith gives us the promise of hope. Hope in the rescue that God gives us. That despite the challenges, he will help us persevere over any struggle or challenge we may have. Faith, you could say, is that lifeline that we grasp onto while floating in a sea of uncertainty and despair. Now, the story continues. After 70 years of exile, now comes the restoration, and it comes in a very great way. The Babylonians who conquered the Jews themselves now are conquered by the Persians under King Cyrus. Next, God inspired King Cyrus to free the Israelites. King Cyrus tells the Jews, go home, you're free. In fact, go home and rebuild your temple. Now, it's interesting here how God used a foreign power to do his work. See, now we begin to see God's love and the expression of God's love. First, in the prophets that were sent to the Israelites, prophet after prophet, an extension or an expression of God's love. The destruction of the temple was an expression of God's love for his passion to set all things right and root out the corruption that existed. The Jews returning by King Cyrus, setting them free. Again, an expression of God's love. Yes, the face of God's love changed, but the love remained the same. More to it, throughout this entire time, God was constantly faithful to the Jewish people, and he is to us. And see, that's the point. God's love is steadfast. It's always present, and it's always offered to us. But the face of that love can change based upon how we perceive it. And so it begs the question, what is God's love? Well, it's the self-gift of God to us. God gives himself in the midst of the prophets. He gives himself to the Israelites in the midst of chastisement and restoration. God's love comes in its richest expression when God gives all he possibly can give, when he gives his whole self to us, which is what we celebrate at Christmas, God coming into this world. Now, with that in mind, turn to the gospel. The gospel contains one of the most beautiful lines in the entire Bible. John 3.16 God so loved the world that those who would believe in him might be saved. We've been hearing about divine love in the first reading, so steadily expressed throughout the history of the Israelites. But in the fullness of time, God gave all he could possibly give, the gift of himself. See, in that act of love in Jesus' birth, we see 
the expression of God's love. And yet God's love reaches its pinnacle on the cross. How come? Because on the cross, the Father sends the Son all the way into God-forsakenness, into death, in order to save us, such that what? In God's great love, we are brought to share in God's life. And from that union of life that we now share with Jesus, we receive strength and perseverance and hope to overcome the challenges that we face now or in the future. The union of life that we have with Jesus, it sustains us. It's a lifeline in the waters of chaos that is in our life. Strongly encourage you, take some time this week. Reread all three of the readings for this weekend. This is a great picture, a great portrait of what God's love looks like. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.